You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you gathered here together in person. We're glad you're here, gathering uh, carefully and cautiously, but also uh, with great joy to worship the Lord. Uh, let me remind you that um, we recognize it does sometimes take a couple of minutes, but you know, when we think about sisters and brothers around the world who have to go uh, maybe find secret places to worship, who have to worship under the possibility of persecution, uh, finding an app with a little, little check mark is not the end of the world. So let me encourage you to take a moment to, uh, to do that, doing that ahead of time. I registered ahead of time. You can register ahead of time. It actually helps as well. Uh, so don't, don't say, oh, just, just, let's just do this together, okay? Amen? Amen? All right. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is going to be our text today. It actually is something of a complex text. And, and I, I kind of was um, you know, trying to debate how long to take in the message this morning. And largely, I've just decided we'll be here until I'm done. So I hope you packed a lunch because um, we've got some things to cover. Part of the challenge is, is that um, there's sometimes more than one complex issue to address. And in Matthew chapter 3, that's the case. So we're going to address today issues of... Uh, of the, well, the title of the message is The True Citizens of the Kingdom, Winnowing Religious Chaff. So it's not exactly, you know, a feel-good message today. We'll take a look at that as well. But then it also addresses something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to address today as well. So two big issues, but let's take a look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, and we'll walk through this together. Those of you who don't know, my name is Ed Stetzer. I'm the interim teaching pastor here, and we're going through the book of Matthew is what our study is. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, says, But when he, this is John the Baptist, we're in the John the Baptist section, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for, uh, coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to, rise, to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. So a lot here to cover, right? You can already feel it as we look at the text. The religious leaders approached John the Baptist, right? And uh, not to be baptized by themselves, just as they were coming to his, his baptism, right? So, so coming there, right? Necessarily, we don't know, uh, they're coming for the baptism. We don't know if they were baptized, uh, but they were probably most likely sort of looking and observing kind of what their latest competition was. One of the things that people don't realize is there's all kinds of uh, Jewish sects that are going on, S-E-C-T-S, all kinds of Jewish sects. And 
And, and one of them would be the Sadducees, and one of them would be the Pharisees. And there's all kinds of other groups. As a matter of fact, Christians were seen as a sect of the Jewish people. They met in the synagogues and more. And so John the Baptist, here's a new one, right? So is he connected to this one group called the Essenes? Is there some sort of, I mean, what sect does he represent? And based on what Matthew records later, it's probably unlikely that they received John's baptism. We'll get to that later. But Jesus, in this passage, Jesus uh, challenges them as to whether John's baptism was from man or from God. They did not know, and Jesus criticized them for leaving God's message. So either the lights are going on and off, or I'm about to lose consciousness. Is that? I'm not sure which it is. Okay, good. I'm just making sure I'm not about to lose consciousness. They're working on that up there as well. So I was getting excited. I didn't know. It's like, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? I do. Uh, so... So here we read about John the Baptist's rebuke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. They traveled out to the desert to see what all his fuss was about with this John this Bap the Baptist character. They approached John, again, either to be baptized or to observe. He rebuked them by telling them they both represented false ways of approaching God. This is really key. They both represented false ways of approaching God, right? The Pharisees were depending on their observance of the Old Testament law and a lot of other things, kind of the oral tradition that surrounded it as a way of being justified in God's sight. Uh, you know, we could basically say, it's not quite completely accurate, but we could basically say the, the Pharisees were the fundamentalists of their day. Got to follow the rules, and that was part of it, or legalists, if you will, who were depending on how much better they were at following the rules compared to everybody else. So that was kind of their approach. Conversely, the Sadducees, uh, they were trying to approach God by the virtue of their family line, right? So they're, they're kind of, a, and their social standing, right? They're probably more affluent and more. They were kind of the aristocratic liberal skeptics that we might see today. Thought they were okay with God because of where they came from, how intelligent they were. And as we go through this city, we see still both of those today. Neither group, however, realized how far they were from God and how much they were in need of God's grace. So John addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two groups of people that thought they were a part of God's kingdom. And he boldly says to them, you're out. It's not automatic for you. See, the kingdom of heaven isn't for the religious elite, but for the repentant sinner. So John the Baptist is reminding them of that, and Jesus does the same thing. He constantly challenges the religious elite, the religious authorities of his day, and in addition, Jesus showed compassion to those who were ostracized and broken or otherwise rejected, often by those very religious leaders. I'll give you 10 examples real quickly. John calls them a brood of vipers. You just don't want to be called a brood of vipers by anybody, right? It's not a good phrase. We're going to unpack a little bit about it right there. Um, and, and it indicates there's a deception in their hearts, right? They're not part of um, the reconstituted Israel. They're, they've not aligned themselves with the kingdom of heaven. And, and in a sense, I mean, when you brood of vipers, they think about the snake and the serpent in Genesis 3. And, and, and again, they were, they, they, they were not part of God's kingdom and more. And, and John the Baptist is, is just not having it. John the Baptist is, is just preaching hard towards them. Now, what's interesting is the Pharisees and Sadducees, they disagreed on a lot of things. But one of the things they agreed on was that simply being an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, made one right before God. And that's what John the Baptist addresses. John's harsh critique of them demonstrates he will not tolerate uh, the belief that their ethnicity 
creates in them some sort of dominant spiritual position. He pushes back on the idea that they're, even the chosen race makes it somehow acceptable that they are acceptable to God without rightfully following the Messiah. Now, again, it's very easy for us too, and we could just talk about how bad the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. There's actually songs that kids sing about the Pharisees, and they're so sad you see. You see the sad you see? Remember that song? We probably won't do that. I actually like when we have a message not to point out the bad guys, but to look at how this might speak to our hearts. So let's look at a few things as we walk through this passage today. Uh, Number one, uh, we're called, we, I'm going to talk about we, we bear fruit consistently and true salvation results in a change of behavior. We bear fruit consistently, true salvation relates to, it creates, sees, results in a change of behavior. And here's my big theme. Um, it's not religion, it's repentance. Right? It's not religion, it's not ethnicity, it's repentance. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss, because I don't want us to talk about the Pharisees, and just talk about them behind their back, and the Sadducees tell us how bad they were. Because here's the thing, religious people are often the slowest to understand grace, just like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. That's what I want us to focus on today. And yes, I'm talking about us. So when we hear about the Pharisees and Sadducees, I want us to think about us. We are religious people. I've been, now again, I, I know I'm, I have a relationship with Jesus. I use all the right words that we're supposed to use when we refer to our relationship with Christ. But I can assure you that I'm religious by now, and you're religious by now. And religious people are often the slowest to understand grace, just like the older brother. That's why this is so shocking. That's why Matthew spends so much time recording this. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 3. Verses 7 through 8 says, But when he, that's John the Baptist, he saw many of the Pharisees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, so here the passage lays out for us that there's supposed to be something that comes from this repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with with repentance. And sometimes as religious people, we can actually be very quick to point out the sins of others and be very unaware of the sins in our own lives. But 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Right? So here's the thing. Why would, why would John write this and why would the Holy Spirit inspire this to be in the inerrant word of God? Here's why. Because it's a pretty consistent problem for us. Right? Again, let's look at what it says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. At the end of this service today, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And as part of partaking in the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you to search your heart because your heart needs searching. Because the tendency in our hearts is actually to look at the sins of others, judge them by the standard that we have passed while not looking at the places in our own lives where we have failed. And we're called instead to a different way. Repentance and the fruit of it. That's a recurring theme, right? Repentance and the fruit of it. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love that. Against there, such there is no law. So verse 8 is kind of a microcosm of the whole story. Verse 8 kind of goes through and gives us some of the whole background of the story. It says, bear fruit 
in keeping with repentance. That's the theme. That's a theme throughout here, right? Is that true repentance is not just a matter of rituals and words that the Pharisees might follow, rules they might follow, the, the rituals and words that as children of Abraham, the Sadducees might follow, right? The message is repeated throughout the pages of Scripture, particularly the New Testament, that a real changed life manifests itself in Christ-honoring actions and change. The message is repeated in Galatians 5, right? It's, it's shown throughout the, the book of James, throughout his epistle. It's not a sinless perfection, but a sinless direction. I'm growing less sinful because there's a consistent pattern of fruit that's replacing sin in my life. And so the charge against the Pharisees and the Sadducees is actually that, that, that they had neither repented nor have they borne fruit of repentance. Now, here's the thing. This must have been super confusing to the crowds, right? Because how is it that, 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 that John the Baptist would say, uh, I mean, these were the righteous groups, particularly the Pharisees. I mean, there was not a more righteous rule-keeping group in all of Israel than the Pharisees. Sadducees were, were known for, for, for religious laws and, and religious views and religious uh, you know, texts and scribes and more. So John rejects, rejects their idea of righteousness when he commands them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Isn't it so true, though, that and we all kind of find our own version of righteousness, and we judge other people for not meeting our standard of righteousness, yet the Lord calls us to look into our own hearts and say, where is it that we want to disciple some sin out and see some fruit of the Holy Spirit in? And that's what we're going to do today is even when we get to the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask you specifically to say, Lord, search me, O God, search my heart. But we've got to get through this text first. Number one, we bear fruit consistently. True salvation results in a change of behavior. That's what is for us. That's what John the Baptist is calling the Pharisees and the Sadducees too. Number two, we experience new birth spiritually. True salvation is a result of spiritual birth. John the Baptist hints at it, but we're going to fast forward a little bit to know the fullness of it by looking elsewhere. But remember, it's not religion, it's repentance, and religious people are often the slowest to understand grace, just like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. So Matthew 3.9 is key to understand this call, this focus it says this, John the Baptist is speaking. He says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So, so John the Baptist really, he, he actually quotes their motto and kind of cuts to the heart of the issue. And he says, he quotes, we have Abraham as our father. That's what the Sadducees would say. That's what the Pharisees would say. They believe their ancestry is sufficient to be the followers of God. And I got to tell you, I mean, that's kind of what I thought growing up, you know, growing up in, 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 in Long Island and hearing from my parents who weren't particularly practicing anything, but we sort of identified with one religious tradition. And in Floral Park, we, we went to this parish, and, and then later on, 11 times, I went to this parish. And, and so I just knew, well, I mean, they were kind of Christmas and Easter, and we go on Christmas and Easter. So something related to my Irish heritage must make me right before God. Which if, you know, I mean, if you're going to pick one, Irish, Sean, could be that uniquely connected heritage. I don't know. Amen. Amen. It says 75 million people in the United States claim, claim Irish ancestry. I think a lot of them are making it up, just so you know. You and I are not. 
But the idea here, here's the thing though, what we know is, is that in Christ, God has children, but he has no grandchildren, right? So, 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 so we all experience a new birth spiritually, and so don't you miss this too? I wonder what John the Baptist would say if we were to walk into our church, or so many churches today, who grew up maybe going to church Sunday after Sunday since birth, and maybe they were practicing their righteousness, maybe they were religious people, but, but really, our righteousness without Christ is no better than the Pharisees or the Sadducees. They had, they had Abraham as their father. Maybe you've had 40 years of perfect attendance until the pandemic, but to both and to all, John says, repent, says repent. See, repentance is not something we want to hear, but it reminds us, this is why baptism is so important. We're getting to baptism, right? This is at the baptism. It's a public declaration that one has repented. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration that one has repented. That's why people don't like baptism, because you mean I got to get in front of all these people? Yes, you're publicly saying, I'm not trusting in anything of myself. I'm literally going to be uh, symbolically buried with him in death, because it's not about me. It's not about my heritage. It's not about the fact that I'm, I'm Irish. It's not about the fact that I'm that I'm, I'm South Indian. It's not about the fact that I'm Russian. It's not about the fact that I'm Peruvian. At the end of the day, I am baptized into Christ. And what's interesting too, um, the, the play on words actually is a play on words in Hebrew here that's actually going on. Uh, banim is Hebrew for children. I was driving you crazy back there, wasn't it, that I knocked that around, didn't I? Yeah, we need to talk about the location of that. Let me just push this forward a little bit. There we go. Do-it-yourself pulpit. Uh, sorry. Was it really bad? Did I knock it really badly? Because I could do it again. Uh, this has been a winner, right? I'm knocking things around. I got stuff to say. It's like Festivus. I'm airing some grievances here. Sorry. If you're not a fan of TV in the 90s, you'd have to ignore that reference. So there's a play on words here as well. Banim is Hebrew for children, and abanim is Hebrew word for stone. So John the Baptist is actually kind of making a joke, um, but, but it pronounced similar in vocal ways that the stones have a better chance of being in God's kingdom than these leaders do. Now, this is really key because we actually know, we actually have encounters with the Pharisees later, including perhaps the most famous encounter with a Pharisee ever, Right When this guy named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. So here's this very, I mean, he's a Pharisee. He's keeping all the rules. He's all the, the religious righteousness rolled up into one office. And then Jesus says to him in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we know where John the Baptist is preaching, but we also know where Jesus is going is that entering the kingdom of God has to do with a new birth. So it's not with the lineage, your children of Abraham, but it's a new birth. You've been born again as a follower of Jesus. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? I don't know if he's asking that rhetorically or if he's, he's like this just incredulous at the idea. But Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, born of spirit is spirit. I don't want you to miss this, right? Because the idea here, which would really be shocking to first century people, is that it's not all about your ancestry. 
But boy, it's not shocking to us at Calvary, is it? I mean, look around this room and all the nations and countries and ethnicities and languages that are represented here. Thank God that it's not about your ancestry. Because, you know, we can joke about having Irish ancestry, but my ancestors are basically crooks and criminals. Sean's even worse. But it's not through our ancestry. Look at Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. That's one of the most important overlooked theological passages. Look at it on the screen. It's not crooked anymore. Look at it. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. They're not part of that lineage of the people of God. And not all who are children, and not, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Some are grafted in, and John the Baptist is giving us a hint. But we got to move on. Number three on our outline today: we are saved by grace eternally. True salvation secures our eternity. Remember, it's not religion, it's repentance, and religious people are often the slowest to understand grace. Um, so John the Baptist brings some strong words. Verse 10, even now, he says, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Something substantial is about to happen. The axe is there. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this is where it gets hard. This is, these are not easy words from John the Baptist. People like, maybe they well, I prefer the words of Jesus to John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist is the forerunner of the Messiah. And verse 10 is a warning for those who called themselves God followers. Now, over and over again in the Old Testament, God, through his prophets, declared that he expects justice and mercy to characterize his children, like Micah 6, 8 and several other places. And John reminds, John the Baptist reminds the Jewish leaders that judgment is coming to them apart from repentance that leads to fruit. Because they weren't caring for the hurting. They weren't living out justice and mercy. So John says, there's already an axe laid at the root of the tree, right? Ready to chop down those trees and even toss them into the fire. Strong, strong words. D.L. Moody puts it this way. He tore the mask off their hypocrisy, warned them against trusting in their self-righteousness, told them to bring forth Fruits bearing the fruit of repentance. There was no pandering to their prejudices, no truckling to their tastes or wishes. He delivered his message as he has received it from God. He asked no favors. He talked plainly and called things by their right names. So not only are they chopped down, but there's a fire that they're tossed into. You know, and these are hard. In 2021, people don't want to talk about those things. But if we're going to work through a book of the Bible, we've got to be honest when the Bible comes to a hard teaching. There's no mistaking the language of judgment in verse 10. Who speaks to religious leaders like this? I mean, don't, don't miss that. He's speaking to the key religious leaders like this. And, and, and who? One who is led by God to make way the path for the true coming of the kingdom. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That's the job that John the Baptist has. So no time to tolerate religious hypocrisy. Just to be honest, curves need to be straightened. Hills need to be flattened. The Lord is coming and John is preparing them. 
And John's message is that you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven because of who you are or what family you were raised in or what culture you identify with. You can't earn or achieve your way into the kingdom. In fact, the ones who think they can will never make it in. Instead, God's kingdom is for the people they admit that they are spiritually bankrupt. Before God, they are spiritual outsiders. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were the insiders, but... The kingdom of God's people are spiritual outsiders and sinners and people who confess with the old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Now again, you might think that John's message is too harsh. People will read John the Baptist and say, this is just too harsh, but it's a message that really shows how amazing grace is, right? Yes, we're sinners. Hymn writers will use the word wretched at times to describe us, yet God loves us. Jesus died to save us. It's amazing love, Charles Wesley would write. And the writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's the call into the kingdom. So here's the thing. I want you not to miss this. At the end of the day, some people in 2021 want to remake Christianity into something that's basically we'd be nice to one another and be moderately religious people who are kind to others. And I want you to be kind to others. Um, I want ultimately to be known for people who care about those that the world does not care about. But at the end of the day, I can't read through the Gospels and come to the conclusion. Mark Twain once said that church is where good people stand in front of good people and tell them how to be good people. So I don't want to stand before you and tell you, listen, I'm good people, you're good people, let's all try to be good people. What I want you to hear and to see is the clarity of message, the call to repentance that is central to the Christian life. And again, it's not religion, it's repentance. And religious people are often the slowest to understand this grace. Number four. We are baptized to declare our identity. Uh, the baptisms point to Jesus. Now, there's actually multiple baptisms here. Um, and we care, you know, none of the baptisms here are actually the baptisms that, the baptism that our church is named after. You may have noticed the name of the church is Calvary Baptist Church. We like baptism so much we named our church after it, right? Presbyterians like uh, presbyteries. Episcopalians like uh, church governance, episcopos, uh, the Episcopal structure. Uh, Catholics like universality. So we, we like baptism so much we named our church after it. Um, so let's look at baptism here, right? But I want you to hear when I'm reading this, the baptism mentioned here, the baptism mentioned here, none of which are the baptism that we practice here at our church called believer's baptism. I'm going to show you. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. And by the way, next week we need to answer the question, and we do this online, so I want to encourage you to join us online, because John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Who knows the next person that's baptized in this passage? Shout it out. Jesus. I heard somebody murmur it. Shout it out is not a strength uh, for us as a church. So if John baptizes for repentance, how and why is Jesus being baptized? We're going to address that next week. But he says, I baptize you, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Like a slave would carry the sandals or the shoes, he's not even worthy to carry. He's like an unworthy slave. He, he's talking about Jesus, John the Baptist is, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit 
and with fire. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. And with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. I can't avoid the reality of judgment evident in this passage, and you should not either. Now, the truth of this section is that the kingdom of God is manifested most powerfully and clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. For he's greater than John, and he's greater than John's baptism. That's what John's telling us, right? I'm not worthy to carry the sandal here, right? So it seems that John has sort of turned his attention, because he was talking to the, to the Pharisees. I just, I just made all of you Pharisees and Sadducees. But he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees over here. But it seems that like he's sort of changed his attention, and now he's talking to everybody. And, and, he, and, he, and he says, um, he, he's turned it back to maybe those whom he's baptized, He's not invalidating the baptism. You've all been baptized by John. He's not invalidating the baptism. He's, not, he, he's instructing his listeners that he's not the, he's not the ultimate, the, the completion of that. He's like, it's like, as he told us, we talked about last week, John, John is like a pointer to Jesus, right? He's pointing us to Jesus. And so all those who were baptized by John are like, listen, I'm not the end all of this. Your baptism is not the finishing of this. So John is telling something greater is coming. Someone greater is coming, and something greater than water baptism is coming. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, again, if you're ever around your Pentecostal friends, I do a lot of work with uh, Pentecostal. Matter of fact, I just had, I came to Christ, by the way, in the charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church. That's where I first heard the gospel and was responded. And I bet a lot of you have been impacted positively. Maybe came to Christ in faith in the Pentecostal charismatic movement. How many would say, that's me? That's me. Lots, lots of hands, right? Raise both hands if that's you, because that's a thing. <laughs> See what I did there? I don't think everyone saw what I did there. So when I talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just stay with me. Um, we're going to walk through this. But John doesn't seek glory for himself. He knows he's a messenger, not the main attraction. He happily points to Jesus, who is mightier than I. The language speaks with strength and value. Uh, a slave tasked with carrying his master's dirty sandals. He's not even that. John is lower than that menial sandal-carrying slave. So there's a lesson to be observed by watching John. The lesson for preachers, especially but for followers of Jesus in general. If you leave here today, and this is a complex message, so I don't think you'd leave here today saying this, but if you left here today and said, that was an amazing message, well-delivered and articulated, and you go tell me that outside, then I think in many ways I have failed the task. If you leave thinking I'm a good preacher, I've failed to point to Jesus. I want you to leave thinking we have a great Savior. Um, furthermore, that's what Jesus calls all of us to do in our lives and more. So this is so, you know, this is what John says about his own baptism, that something greater is coming. And but to talk about that, we got to talk a little bit about these baptisms. In this passage, John the Baptist actually mentions three different baptisms. And it doesn't include the baptism that we call believers baptism. The one we that's the fourth one that's not listed here uh, because it's not yet been instituted. But we need to understand when we read the Bible, the baptisms referred to are not always the baptisms that we think of, and it requires us to think about baptism in more than one way. We're going to explore each of these today. This is a bit of a side path. We've got to come back to the main theme, but we can't go through this and not talk about this, right? So what, why does baptism matter? Well, first of all, baptism is not, to most people, the most important doctrine 
of the Christian faith. Even though our church is called Calvary Baptist Church, we would be deeply thankful for Lutheran churches that are sharing and preaching the gospel that baptize infants even though we don't, or Presbyterian churches that, that preach the gospel and baptize infants even though we don't, right? So, so our, our teaching on baptism is important to us but it's, and we think it's biblical because the Bible, as we'll see, the Bible teaches this, but we, we have to recognize that sometimes this is an area of confusion or disagreement among some Christians. So we've got to examine it closely, and this text gives us the opportunity to do that, not just uh, water baptism, but also baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus instructed us in the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's look at these baptisms that John's talking about. We'll quickly go through them. First is John's baptism for repentance. Right? It's a preparation looking towards salvation. Look at what it says in Matthew 3, 11. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, he was coming after me is mightier than I. So John the Baptist was out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing people in the River Jordan. The recipients of the baptism were confessing their sins, probably aloud, admitting they had broken the covenant with Israel that Israel had uh, had made with God, admitting that this was the that this was the reason Israel was still largely in exile, currently under Roman rule. They're confessing their sins as a way of preparing for the Messiah. John said was going to soon come. So there's this baptism, and where does it come from? We actually don't know the details. Maybe it was an initiation ritual that other Jewish groups, Jewish sects had in them. We don't know. Maybe it's a new practice created by John the Baptist, continued by Jesus and his followers. People, scholars actually disagree. But either way, John used it as an outward sign that symbolized true repentance and preparation for the coming of the Messiah. He pointed out there was a greater baptism, a baptism in the Holy Spirit of God from the Messiah was coming soon. And it would arrive, wasn't there yet? It would arrive with the coming of the Messiah. So the practice of baptism as we use it today looked exactly like what John the Baptist was doing, but the meaning was different and is different. So the people who are receiving John's baptism right? We're looking forward to and preparing for the coming of the Messiah. We believe the Messiah has already come, and we are looking back at what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. That's why we call it believer's baptism. But in both cases, the act of baptism doesn't save anybody. Not that baptism, not John's baptism, and, and, and not actually the believer's baptism that we do. Represents, baptism represents that I need a forgiveness and a cleansing right? that only the Messiah can offer. Baptism is an outward symbol that I've decided to trust in Jesus to save me. And John's baptism is like the pregame show before the Super Bowl. You know it's there to get to something even more important, which leads us to the second thing. Um, Jesus... Holy Spirit baptism, the arrival of salvation. It says this in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John said the baptism that was going to come, there's a different kind of baptism. It's not water baptism, but it's a baptism, it's a baptism in, with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. And this phrase has created a lot of um, controversy for 100 years. A lot of um, 
Christians sometimes disagree. We can just be honest about that. Christians sometimes disagree. For the last hundred years in the Pentecostal charismatic movement where I trace my spiritual beginning, um, it meant something different. I, I recently spoke um, at the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. Wonderful sisters and brothers who love Jesus, right? Uh, and uh, actually, fun fact, Charles Stanley, well-known Bible preacher, actually came to Christ into the preaching of an international Pentecostal holiness church preacher. Um, and and, and, and they, they were a merger of two denominations, and one was called the fire-baptized holiness denomination. I want to be fire-baptized. Sounds a little like it doesn't end well for you. <laughs> so the Bible uses the phrase baptism in, with, or by the Holy Spirit seven times in the Bible. Uh, let's take a look at another one. John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34 says... And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remaining on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom the Spirit descends and remains, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So a recurring theme here, right, is that, that Jesus is baptizing us within the, with or in the Holy Spirit and 1 Corinthians 12, 13 gives us more. It says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So this is why the dozens of nations, ethnicities, and languages here at Calvary are together. We have been baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit into one body, Jews, Greeks, Peruvians, Russians, Brazilians, and even the Irish. Slaves are free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, people sometimes will ask, do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Your answer should be yes. Um, we might disagree some with what our Pentecostal charismatic friends, how they describe and describe, but we're, on this, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's Pentecostals see the baptism of the Holy Spirit as something that happens subsequent to conversion. You say, well, we don't like them. Well, actually, we like them so much that historically, it's a fascinating little story. If you, if you read the history of Calvary, um, there's a fun fact. Our former pastor had an appreciation for someone named Sister Amy McPherson. She's the founder of the Four Squares. The Four Square, by the way, is that Jesus is the Savior, the Healer, the Baptizer, baptizing the Holy Spirit, the soon incoming King. And, and unlike a lot of Baptists who, when they saw Sister Amy, like at Moody Church, where I used to be the interim pastor, they actually wrote a whole book against Sister Amy and the Four Square Church. But, but our pastor here, John Road Straighton, kind of had a different approach here as well. Um, actually, one of the disciples of Sister Amy was uh, Aldine Utley. Which probably most of you don't know who Oldie Nutley is, but she was one of the most famous preachers of her day. And, and instead of maybe opposing that, we actually invited her here. Let me read from her book, Udley Nutley, Why I'm a Preacher. This is actually not by her, but about her. It says this, Ever since the very first services conducted by the young evangelist, the people have kept asking her, Why are you a preacher? Desiring to hear the whole story. No service was devoted to telling it, however, until October 31st, 1926 when in Madison Square Garden, New York, following four weeks of meetings held at Calvary Baptist Church, they had the service at Madison Square Garden. So we actually invited, and so there's been a recognition that sisters and brothers in Christ can differ on some of these things, but we need to still come back to this idea of what the Bible teaches and our best understanding of it. Our best understanding of it and the doctrine that our church teaches 
is that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Christ, that Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, we're made to drink of one spirit, we're brought into one body, and that if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, that means the Holy Spirit dwells in you, doesn't mean that that's the end of your engagement with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna have these continuous and ongoing fillings, sometimes things that are dramatic and transformative, and we wanna walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as well. But the reality is, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place in your life when you're born again. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at conversion. Wayne Gruden puts it this way. What shall we say about the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's a phrase that the New Testament authors used to speak of coming into the new covenant power of the Holy Spirit. It happened at Pentecost for the disciples, but it happened at conversion for the Corinthians and also for us. So that's where we are today. So receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, look at Ephesians 1.13. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. So when John the Baptist spoke of Jesus baptizing people with the Spirit, he was referring to the Messiah's ability to save people from their sins and give them the promised Holy Spirit. So water baptism is a sign of Holy Spirit baptism. So when I'm baptized in water, following conversion as a believer, I'm reflecting symbolically through water what has happened spiritually with the Holy Spirit at my conversion. Now, again, I could spend a lot more on that, and I would tell you there's, there's a lot more that could be said and written on that, but I want to touch on this, right? Because, because um, uh, John's baptism was a baptism that necessitated repentance, uh, but Jesus' baptism actually shows the reality of that repentance, right? So lastly, the fire baptism, Jesus' fire baptism, the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, what does that mean? Well, fire in most of that passage means judgment, but it seems positive here. It might be a purifying fire. And as I'm continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, fire is used in more than one way in the Bible, I am continuously, ultimately being changed more and more and more like Jesus. Now, I've already seen I've gone too long. This is, this is the problem. This is, this is the Jim Canary, our chairman of elders problem. Oh, we got to have a service that's an hour. Sweet mother of pearl, Jim. What is the matter with you? We are... Who's loving the word of God being taught today? Thank you. Oh, hold on a second. I got to skip that. I got to skip that and that. Oh, that is so good, but not for you. Um... Let's end with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body. That's what John the Baptist is pointing to. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all made to drink of one spirit. It's not religion, sisters and brothers. It's not repent. It's repentance. Religious people are often the slowest to understand grace. But here, that's the privilege that we have is to walk in our understanding of grace. John the Baptist is pointing us that it's not about our lineage, not about our rule keeping. Someone's coming who's greater. He's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. 
and baptize us with fire, and we're still walking in that purifying fire that's coming. And then there's talk about this winnowing. We're actually going to kind of sort out, and, and there's going to be a clarification of who is and who's not in the kingdom. And this is our opportunity to respond. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit CBC nyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.